Hello and welcome. My name is Courtney Whitney. I'm a tenacious follower of Jesus, an army wife, and a mother to six precious souls, two of whom came to a special delivery from China. We own a big red van that carts our tribe around. On this podcast, we explore stories of ordinary people living bravely. We're so glad you've joined us for this conversation from the BRV. Ronnie, I'm so excited that you're on my podcast. I'm so excited. So, for those of you who know that we normally are podcasting from Kentucky, we are now in beautiful, what I call God's country, Wisconsin, because I love it in the summer up here. Anyway, but I have Ronnie Schuler as my guest today, and I'm so excited because Ronnie and I have been friends for, what, almost two decades, I think. It's been... Two decades. We have been through some stuff. You just called us old. <laughs> yes, I'm so excited. And Ronnie has very fun things to share, some probably challenging things. And just her story of being a foster mom, among 700 other hats that she's worn in her life. So, Ronnie, I want you to introduce yourself. Tell me... You're married. You have children. You never know how many on any given day. Amen. And your background and your education, all the fun things. Tell me about. All right. So I'm married to Scott. We've been married for 15 years, going on 16 now. It's a very exciting business. It's a second marriage for both of us. We blended a family and then had one together. So we had yours, mine, and ours for a season yep. and then got into foster care. My background is special and elementary education. Yes. So I have a, a big heart for those with the special needs and kind of the more challenging cases yes. in foster care. And so we've seen a lot of things right. over the last 10 or 12 years that we've been fostering. Okay. So yes. there it is. Lots of stuff. Indeed. And so background in special education and you like the challenging cases. I love it. We do. I Indeed. I love that. Okay. <clears throat> so... So tell me, Ronnie, I've got some questions. Obviously, that's how I do things. I just ask questions, and I want to know answers, and I want to hear the stories. So I have to have questions to know stories. This is how I've learned how to do things. Um, so what got you into foster care? What prompted you to look into it? Like, why did you even? Like, you already had, what, six kids all, to, all told and said, hey, I know. How about we put more kids in our house? Tell me about it. So I came to that conclusion a lot sooner than my husband did um, because my extended family, I met them when I was a teenager and had some pretty significant special needs and also had children with special needs that were being removed and placed in foster care. And so I had a heart for my cousins and for the hurt they were going through and um, for those children that were being removed and placed. And there was a lot of fear around fostering in my family because of that. It felt like the big machine that was taking our children away okay. as opposed to a ministry or a place where children could be helped or healed or families could be made whole. Okay. And so I um, grew up with a curiosity about fostering and wanted to do it my way. I wanted people to know that I had a heart for the family of origin as well as for the children yes. that would come in and um, kind of Wanted to do things different than the media portrays fostering. Okay. Or than um, the families of origin perceive fostering. And so my heart had been there from day one. I had, um, had narrowly missed adopting one of my cousin's children. They found a, an adoptive family that was also related 
um, but that lived closer, and so they, they chose to go with that family in hopes that they would see that child a little bit more. Okay. Um, but that kind of opened my eyes and heart to what fostering might be for me. And that was during a time when I was single parenting. So I came to the marriage with kind of an idea of a ministry in the trenches, working a lot with the kids with special needs and um, with possible fostering in down the line. Yes. Uh, my husband was on board for whatever God called us to do. I don't think he was at all interested initially in fostering okay. or in special needs in general or special needs within his household in specific. So um, for me, I kind of came at it with that mindset for him it was a gradual dawning on him that that was where God was calling him and we needed to both hear God clearly calling us at the same time yes. to be on the same page yes or that the whole household would fall apart so yes. um I think having foster parent or step parented you you have to choose to love another child as your own yes a child you didn't have a, a hand in creating and that has been raised up to this point without you so Step parenting was a real eye-opener for us, okay. um, but it was also developing a heart then for our children's other parents. So okay. uh, three of my children have a mom. They, they don't need me right. in that mom sense. And sure. So I had to embrace mom. I had to, my husband had to embrace my former husband in order to raise these children in the way that God designed and honored and wanted them to be raised. Now, my first husband is, has passed away. But right. I still adore um, Scott's first husband or first wife, yeah, and spend as much time with her as I can. We've raised children together. It's a big relationship, big responsibility, and one of the most beautiful friendships that I've ever had. That's awesome. Um, so step parenting really kind of launched um, loving another person's child as your own. Okay. There was also a child we knew that was um, had been adopted by her grandmother, mm-hmm. and her grandmother had terminal cancer. And they had guardians lined up, but they weren't sure that it was going to go that way. And so that was kind of a a right now decision. Do we get into fostering because we might be able to make a difference for this one very specific child? Right. And I think that's when my husband, when Scott really got on board with me and said, let's fill out the paperwork. And so I had a two inch pile that the county had sent me two years prior that was mostly filled out. And I said, well, you need to sign here, here and here. And get somebody to inspect the furnace because we're ready. <laughs> we're going to do it. this. Yep. Okay. Yep. I had it all pulled together and he was ready and God was calling. And um, it kind of launched too because we had years, mine and ours, but we had a child. Her name's Melissa. She was, or is, um, a friend of our, of Scott's oldest two children. Right. And so she okay. spent a great deal of time in our house and very slowly spent all of her time in our house and okay. um, became one of our kids. So we had seven children in our house. And in the summer of 2010, we had three of them move out the same weekend. They had graduated and were ready to launch what was next. So we went from seven children to four. And we said, look, we have space. I don't know where we thought we had space. We had (laughs) four children in their four bedrooms and ours. um, But we had space. We had time. We had resources that weren't being used otherwise now because we had three children gone. So... um, that's when the packet went in the mail. I said, we're in. We'll do it. Okay. So you're, okay. So I didn't, I guess I didn't even realize that part. Like, yeah, your oldest three, well, I guess. Yep. Oldest three, really. <laughs> they often did their thing and said, and you went, oh, wait. Yes. We have a couple more beds. About that? We can make this work. <laughs> right? Yeah. Perfect. Yep. All right. Well, great. Okay. There it is. So it wasn't necessarily you, yeah. So I love that you said you waited kind of on where 
Scott was, you know, waiting for him to get to where you were. Right, because it, it couldn't, God couldn't be calling me and leaving Scott behind. Right. We are married, and it had to be a calling that both of us were hearing and responding to specifically and directly. Yes. And so I'm assuming that because you are the model wife, Ron. <laughs> you just not so much but. silently prayed for years <laughs> that was not a lot of nagging i mean right. was, this was already a bigger bigger animal than we had thought it would ever be sure um, I, I, that'll bring me another story but yes um we attend alliance church of the valley in st Croix falls wisconsin and it's yep. a a biggest church for our area. It's right. not a real big church, but it's a good size for our area. Sure. And Pastor Bob Morton preached a sermon that was titled The Wealth That Wiggles. Mm. And um, the point he was bringing to the church is that we really need to reach out to our young people. It's the people 18 and under that are most receptive to the gospel, and it can impact their life for a greater duration. Now, he wasn't saying that, that any other age group isn't worth pursuing, but right. he felt like we were maybe... Ne- neglecting to reach a vital population for Christ. Interesting. And so, um, it the sermon itself, I don't remember the sermon. Sure. Um, Scott doesn't specifically remember it either. Right. But it really convicted um, our oldest daughter, Sarah, and the friend that was living with us, Melissa, to invite friends in, and in Melissa's situation, siblings, to go to church. Uh, Melissa in particular felt like she was kind of keeping the Schulers as her thing. Mm. And this sermon really opened her eyes to the needs of her siblings mm. and neighbors and um, what could be provided to them by being invited in. And so that became this huge animal. On Wednesday, we, we bought a second minivan. Oh. We had bought a minivan when we got married and blended our family. And yep. we that was no longer enough. We needed a second minivan. And ultimately, we recruited other drivers um, to bring kids to Wednesday night, Awana. Yes. To Vacation Bible School and to our house for, initially it was just meant to be Sunday morning churches. Mm-hmm. And then it became these kids, whenever there wasn't school or every weekend, it became this thing that, that really got in the way of our family for a short period. And we said, we need to define this better, kind of have a, a vision for where we're going with this or what our our goal is or what it's doing for or to us. Okay. And so we went with every other weekend was extra kid weekend. Okay. And then um, we tried to reserve that other every other weekend yeah. for family night okay. and then um, for our own children to have just their friends come and, and yeah. be part of something that was more um, driven by them that did not force friendships but friendships yes. that they cultivated and yes so it um, by and large was every other weekend and Wednesday nights we had 25 children and then the rest of the time we had seven children. <laughs> you was, know, not a big difference. Which is when it made seven going to four seem like, well, yeah. that is. There's nobody shit. here. Exactly. There's not going in our living room. What's like, happening? Indeed. Yeah. Indeed. Interesting. So, yeah, that was kind of an open door to the ministry, I guess. Kind of a, I don't want to say a slow opening because it was a hard and fast opening. Yes. But these were the kids that were not in the system. They were yes. the kids that were marginally out of the system. Yes. The kids that were falling through the cracks. Not all of them. Some of them were invited by friends of friends of friends. And so there was a great mix of children, but there were plenty that didn't know where their next meal was coming from. There were kids that we knew it, but didn't say anything when they were stealing entire boxes of granola bars. And one gal that was taking plates and forks and spoons and bowls and just sticking mm. them in their hoodies. And one by one, they'd walk out the door and we just decided we couldn't care more about the things in our house than we did about the kids. And so we were able to eventually talk to those kids and say, hey, we'll provide 
what do you need? What does your family need? And yes. What do you need? And how can we best meet that need? Yes. So that our dishes wouldn't keep coming missing. We well, can provide for that in a different way. Although, by and large, our dishes no longer match, and we're good with that. <laughs> <laughs> it just well, is what it is. I totally, <laughs> under, I totally understand that. Indeed. Um, yeah. That's yeah. such a cool... So, yeah. So, that happened before. Before we started fostering. Okay. It continued as we fostered sure. for a season. Now right. that our um, bio kids, we have... Well, we have two of the nine children still in our house. One of them we just adopted two years ago, and then a 14-year-old is there. Um, mm-hmm. So it's a lot quieter. They don't have... Neither of those two kiddos are as social as their older siblings have been. So there's not quite the degree of chaos that there once was. There's not impromptu pool parties or the baseball team coming over because it started raining and <laughs> they needed Cheetos. There's yeah. not the locusts coming in, going through the pantries right. and leaving again. Although right. we still have plenty of, of children. We're not lacking for kids. Right, right. It's not the same animal that it once was. And that, I'm grateful for that because we kind of shifted to younger kiddos. Okay. Initially, we fostered older kids because nobody wants to. Yes. Um, there are a lot of mental health needs in the older population, a lot of attachment issues by the time they're coming into care with ne- per- pervasive neglect or yes. ongoing drug issues at home or yes. these kids have been exposed to some things. Yes. And so those were the kids we initially fostered. Okay. And those kids are still out there and they still do need fostering, but um, there is right now in our area just a scourge of meth. Mm. And um, so there's these meth babies, not all of them babies, but these meth babies that need homes. Mm. And we have group homes for teens. We don't have orphanages for infants. Right. So there became a greater need for younger children. Yes. And we can put more young children in the same bedroom than we could teens as well, both because of regulations and kind of those those things, gender issues, but also because when you bring a teen in that's... 13 years old and comes to you with a sexually transmitted disease, mm. we know that they've seen some things, they've yes. experienced some things. Yes. They can't necessarily be paired up in a room right. with somebody right. else. They need some space for healing and exploring and growing, some space to act out, a door they can lock, some of those things that an infant just doesn't need. They need a safe and stable environment, but they don't have the same needs as a teen, so we can take in more littles than we can teens. Right. That's also shifted responsibilities in our household. Scott takes the laboring or with teenagers. I do more of the work with young, okay. our, our preschool age kids. Yeah. And then the special needs piece is really my ballywick. Yep. Um, so the shift has been to me. And I think Scott regrets that in some ways. I think mm. he misses those older kids mm. and the day in, day out interactions. Mm. Um, but he's, he, I mean, he provides for the household and he works from home and is always aware of who's coming, who's going, right. what the needs are. He steps up in every way. Yep. But I think he misses those older kids. And I think that probably as this group of littles, we have um, pretty significant involvement with four four-year-olds right now, including the one we adopted. And I think as they grow, we'll take less and less of the young ones again and yes. kind of see this ministry grow up and out. Scott's 10 years older than I am. and. Right has been parenting for 32 years and signed on for VLB for next month or this month, later this month. So he's signed on for another 14 years for sure of parenting. So um, at this point, I don't see fostering being something we can sustain for 20 more years. I see that kind of growing up and out as Fia does. Okay. 
yeah. kind of the trajectory I picture. We'll see what happens, but yeah. Yeah, that's... God has plans. <laughs> <laughs> We've learned that. You just never know, yes. but I can understand yep. where your thought process is going. Yeah. Um, that does make sense. So. Yep. Um, so you and Scott, obviously not necessarily on the same page at the same time, but you got there. Yes, so indeed. That's exciting. Here we are. <laughs> <laughs> so tell me what some of the challenges, like what, yeah. what are the hard parts? I guess let's kind of work through that a little bit. I know everybody, I shouldn't say everybody, there is a common perception. That's probably why people have sort of pushed away the idea of foster care is their quote unquote damaged children or it's gonna bring too much chaos to my house or right. whatever all the reasons are and it is challenging. There's just it no is. way around it. That it, it is challenging. So kinda flesh that out a little bit how you've experienced yeah. challenges. Well I think first of all, without faith, I don't think Scott and I could do it. I think that first of all our marriage would be fractured. Yes. Even just blending the family. Mm. But certainly by the time we brought in children that were so damaged, so hurt, so mm. neglected or abused. Yes. I just don't think we could do it without faith. So there's that key component that has gotten us through. We both know that we couldn't have come to the same conclusion years apart together without God. Yes. And so I mean that has to be the background and God didn't bring us to something he's not going to bring us through. We have to rely on that. Yes. Now, there are a lot of families without faith that foster and that foster successfully. Okay. So I don't want to say that you cannot do it without faith. I want to say that I cannot do it without faith. We can't. Our marriage would not have weathered that. Yes. So there's that piece to getting through the challenges. Yes. And viewing it as a ministry, I Uh think, has, has shifted things. But, I mean, most of... My peers, most of the people in our community that um, don't see the silent homelessness and and don't encounter meth on a regular basis, we also don't see scabies. Mm. We don't see um, like the sexually transmitted diseases that come in Mm. in an eight-year-old. We don't um, face the behaviors that meth, I mean, kids will come in very young having already been fed meth to control their behaviors. Oh, my word. And so we've learned to recognize that, but we didn't expect it and we didn't know going in. Um, attachment disorders, what it means to a child and how, like, for a child that's not attached, all of the social niceties are viewed as behaviors, a set of instructions, a manual. It's not something they intrinsically get, especially by the time they're teenagers. They just don't understand it. It isn't... It may never be even intuitive. It's going to be a role they choose to play. Mm. And so that gets fatiguing for these kiddos. Yes. And you see behaviors acting out, kind of um, attention-seeking behaviors. Yes. You see those in unattached kids, and it's it's just the fatigue of trying to be something they don't fully understand or that they don't feel at their core. Mm -hmm. If you don't catch that attachment piece when they're young... Yes. It's so difficult to overcome. Yes. You don't talk about reactive attachment disorder in adults. Those are your personality disorders. Mm. They wear these labels. They have mental health issues. It's just not called by the same name Okay. once they're adults. So I, attachment was something we did not understand and that we really were astonished by and yes. impacted hugely by and, and really thrown for a loop. Our, our bio kids and our adoptive kids have by and large chosen us or been attached from the beginning to us. Yes. And so we, we didn't see that so much in them. Okay. So attachment, I think, was probably the biggest challenge. Okay. And then things like locking up your meds. When you take in a teen that has um, mental health issues, 
you suddenly have to think about where your knives are and how your chainsaw is stored and what large equipment you have. And yeah. um, I mean, there's restrictions put on us by a foster care license, but they're made so much more stringent when you work with that population. Okay. So those are challenging things. They're not, um, they're not impossible things. They certainly can be overcome. Yes. Um, we found that Menard sells nice little saves that you just safely put the coat in and your medicines are safely locked, locked up and Great. no kids getting in them. Yep, exactly. All right. So, yep, and cheap and easy to install. So okay. those kinds of things that we didn't know going in have become huge. We initially thought, oh, we'll keep the medicine in our bathroom where no kid's allowed to go unattended. And, yeah, that's not how that looks when you have a kid that's more persistent than you are. I mean, we have to sleep. That we is just have to sleep. how it is. It is. It's a thing. It is. Yep. Yeah. So a, a severely neglected thing, but yes. it's a thing. And it so thing. there are things we just have to button down so that we yeah. can know that we're safe, that they're safe. Yeah. Um, I am on a first-name basis with most of the police officers in my city. Okay. And a lot of them in the county. Okay. Because when your child's uh, prone to running away or already has um, legal issues or their family of origin has legal issues... Quite often, this police officer knows your own child better than you do. Mm. They're bringing them, escorting them to the door and telling you what to be concerned about with family of origin. Mm. And they, they know things I don't know about the child that's now mine to, to respond to and to care yes. for. And, um, and there are those kids, too, that have violent outbursts or mental health breaks. And that, um, police officers come in and de-escalate until the crisis people can come in. Um, there was one time grandma was helping us out. Uh, we've adopted a grandma. Now. I love it. Me too. It takes a village. <laughs> and that intergenerational play is huge. I love that. So we brought in a grandma and she is all sorts of amazing. Mm. And when one of our children went off the deep end and no one was to be found and she had to call for police backup, I knew that she was in good hands too. I never anticipated knowing the police. My childhood police were scary. Mm. They were to be avoided. They were mm. to penalize. My mm. dad had grown up on the streets and then spent 10 years in penitentiary. And mm. so we were trained very young to be afraid of the cops, to right. anticipate that they would take people from you. Mm. And that gives me perspective on what many of the kids in care have experienced. Yes. They also see the police as, as a scary business that they come in, mom leaves and mm. that's how it is. So mm. I, that background and perspective was good for me, but also it was good for me to have to work through some of my, feelings and thoughts and teachings about what an officer does in your community mm. and what they do in our ho home specifically. So that's been an interesting learning curve and something I didn't expect and a big challenge and a reward too. Right. I think. Right. Yeah. Okay. I think so. That's good. I mean, yeah, I'm glad you said, you know, you pulled out the, um, attachment thing and you and I have yeah. talked about that. I yeah. mean, with Evan and Poppy, like that was a piece I didn't fully process either until right. we brought them home and went what is why what's happening <laughs> I love them <laughs> I don't understand this at all anyway it is such a it is especially when you do grow up and at least you have at least one attachment right. hopefully two yeah. right. with your parent you know it's it's something that you don't even think I mean I didn't even think about it right. and then to have like well, I love you, and I'm feeding you, and let's hug. And Evan's like, ah, nope, I'm going to hit you and bite you and kick at you, and now I'm leaving. And I'm like, ah, uh, no. <laughs> you got to stay, but this I'm not sure how this works. <laughs> yeah. And he was only two. I was like, this is going to be a road. Anyway, Indeed. it was a whole thing. But, yes, I'm glad you brought that up because it is 
It is so, I think too, I've told other people this, probably you as well, because I talk so much. That's why we're doing this. And I think like the idea of um, all the things that we do as moms who love our kids, we, you know, we birth them. Okay. Then you diaper and you change and you talk to them and you read them books and you do all the things that the moms do. And you think they're just like, we just do this because this is a mom thing. And then after having Evan and Poppy, I was like, oh no. No, that's not just a mom thing. That is like something that is so important in absolutely unbelievable. And so in some ways I want, like, I'm kind of speaking to you moms who have little people, like diaper that kid and be grateful you can and talk to them and do all those mundane things that you think don't matter one iota. They matter the world. Like Indeed. the world. And set the phone down while you're nursing or bottle feeding. However, feed that kid will make eye contact. There it is. Bring it. Preach it. Okay. Yep. We're going to get off that horse. But, yes. And amen. <laughs> Just look at that child, please. Okay. Um, yeah. I love it. So, um, so tell me now we went through some challenges. Tell me rewarding things. Tell me things that you're like, I got to see this. You know? Yeah. I, every child that goes into care leaves their parents home with whatever they can grab mm. or whatever a worker can grab. Mm. And when a worker's grabbing, so these young people, they come with a trash bag mm. that may have an open container container of formula or some frozen bags of breast milk that nobody knows what kind of exposures these things have had. <sighs> yeah. They come with their clothing and um, their stuffed animals or blankies if they're lucky to leave with those things. Mm. Um that reek of cigarette smoke or that clearly have not been washed since the child was born or mm. there's just all of these kind of things that come in mm. and when a child smells something familiar they feel safe mm. we learn not to wash the blankets and those sorts of things but when a child is reunited and they leave with their own suitcase duffel bag backpack when they feel strong enough and empowered enough and their things are cleaned and smell familiar again to them because of what over time has transitioned from sure. the family of origin to ours. Yeah. And they can slowly bring that back to their family of origin mm. again. Nothing more rewarding than mm. to, to mentor a family, to mentor a kiddo yes. and then see them come back together. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's something that most people think would be too hard for them. Mm. That's the number one challenge I hear people saying, I couldn't give them back. Yeah. I love mm. when they can go back. Mm. And I know it's not perfect. Mm. I know it's not ideal. Mm. I know that parents have not done an entire 180. They're not in a, an amazing place where they can provide everything for this child. Sure. But they're in a place where they can be the parent they were meant to be or okay. whatever capable of being. Okay. That is so rewarding. Mm. It is so big. Mm. So big. Mm. So I think for us, um, and again, this harkens back to step parenting. Yes. Um, Learning to work with their parents is a big, hairy deal. Okay. Inviting them to sit with us at church. And they'll do it because it means a free visit with their kiddo. Mm. Um, we could technically count that as their visit for the county's perspective, but we try not to. We say, come, be part of this transformation. And, Love that. And parents will come. And then they become part of a church family. Yes. And they don't always stay with our church when they leave. Okay. But when they get their kiddo back, they know that that was important to us. And that it was a safe and important thing for their relationship with their child, and they want that. Okay. So um, kind of mentoring that family of origin, bringing them home for lunch. Yeah. Knowing that meth probably crossed your threshold. Yeah. 
and knowing that you need to monitor and clean and whatever, but to accept them where they're at, Mm. to know that they didn't wake up one day and say, oh, I think I'll try meth and and lose my children and everything I know and think and love and believe. Right. Um, A lot of meth users are second generation at this point. (sighs) Some of them even third generation. Um, So it's what they've been taught. It's what they're comfortable with. Our children, our bio children, the children that grow up in our homes, if they go to a party in college and see meth, they're going to hightail it out of there. They are going to be afraid. These kiddos that grow up with meth in their bathroom or on their kitchen counter and mom passed out, they're not afraid of that. That's normal. Yes. And so they're our most vulnerable. Wow. They get to be teens and young adults, and they're just not afraid of the terrible, scary things that are the stuff of our nightmares. Yeah. Homelessness in a state where six months out of the year it's not warm enough to sleep on the streets, that's not a joke. No. And right now I know four families that are homeless. Oh, my word. I mean, in our little county, homelessness exists. And we don't see it day in, day out. These homeless people are walking our streets. They're in our Walmarts. They're finding the camping spots that are free. We don't know it. But homeless people are right here in our valley. Yeah. You don't have to go to, to a big city right. to find homelessness. Right. Talk to your county. They know where they're at. Yeah. Don't know how to help them. And poverty is not a reason for a child to be in care. So as long as a parent continues to provide shelter and food, is not neglecting their basic human needs, mm-hmm. and has someplace warm, so perhaps the car is able to run without obstructing the exhaust, they can keep their children. Poverty is not by itself a reason to be removed, but by and large, by the time they've gotten to homelessness, there's some other issue driving their homelessness. their situation. Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I, so that, the family of origin, that was my, my short answer. Sure. The, thing, the most rewarding thing is seeing a family come back together. Okay. That, for me, is where it's at. Okay. That's a great perspective because most of the time and even I'll admit my own self you know <laughs> like as I'm processing we yeah. process through some foster care and who knows if that I will not ever say I'm never going to do yeah. something yeah. I don't know what God has planned but um, yeah just to have that um, that that is I, it's my own fear and it, mm-hmm. even my big kid you know big kids we've talked through that and they, they they said well you know we're military and so they said mom I don't know if you know, what happens if we move and then they can't come with us? Like, they can't cross yeah. state lines? And I'm like, no, they can't. I mean, so it's just the thing yeah. of, like, oh, but, I, and I'm thinking of my own self and thinking of my kids and how are you guys going to handle this? And I do think there's a place for that. But for sure. But also, it isn't necessarily all about me. So there's also right. that. Anyway. <clears throat> So glad you decided to bring that up and that it was a positive thing for the kids to go back. For sure. Just okay. Celebrate. Good stuff. And we mourn that too, don't get me wrong. The day after a child goes back, we make blueberry pancakes and we cry and we talk and we mourn and and we talk about why that was a goal of theirs and what we're excited about for them and what it means to that child that, that gets to go home. Okay. Every child longs for their family of origin, no matter how it compares to what we think yes it should be. Yes. Our standard is not their standard. Yes. Our desires aren't their desires. Yes. We can celebrate their goals being met. Yes. And the desires of their heart being uh-huh. met. Uh-huh. It's big. It's big. Yeah. It's also been rewarding to see our own children step up and kind of step in and 
learn through their heartache and to their exposure to things. I know um, one of our children that was more hesitant to get into foster care. Yeah. The first time he had to share a room, he also found marijuana in his dresser. Oh. And he was not real excited about that, but it opened conversations and it opened doors and yes. thoughts. And I mean, all of our children are going to go out to this big, bad world and they're likely to encounter things like marijuana. Yes. And so it was a good time to process while he was home and under our roof. And yes. It was um, terrifying to him. It wasn't anything he expected from foster care, although... I will say he was the most reticent. He had the most concerns about fostering children. Okay. And then our first foster placement was a kid in his same grade. Mm. And so a child that he was affiliated with mm. through the eyes of the community and that didn't necessarily have the same lifestyle or goals or uh, skill sets even that he had. Yes. And so watching him stretch and grow and learn, it was painful. Mm. But talk about rewarding to know that when he left home, he had his wings and he was ready. Yep. Go, go get him, boy. Yeah, you can do it. That was that was another unexpected reward of fostering, mm. I think. Right. I knew it would be hard for our kids, yes. but I, I hadn't anticipated kind of where it would stretch them and how it would grow them in ways I wanted them grown. Yeah. Not that I knew I wanted them grown that way. Right. <laughs> I'm like, I just want you to be safe. You can yeah. be under my wing. And they're like, nope, nope. Got these wings right here. I got to try out. Yeah. So. It's good. It's yeah. good. Um, so kind of going into that bio, you know, your bio kids, your step kids, the kind of the family, um, that you and Scott created prior to all the people. Um, how has that affected your bio kids negatively, positively? I know you kind of just alluded to some of the positives. Which were probably negatives for that kiddo. Yeah. It was a positive for me. Right. Right. True. Right. Kind of both. I will say that. Um, our kids that were the most excited to consider fostering are the ones that struggled the most. Mm. And I think the ones that were more reticent were mm. more aware of what could happen. Interesting. And so maybe weren't just were maybe positively surprised by the good things. Okay. Um, and I I see growth in my kiddos in things like they don't notice anymore when a child smells funny or mm. has dreadlocks in their hair mm. or. Clearly has not owned a toothbrush in quite some time. Mm. They just don't notice that stuff anymore. They okay. they see humans behind that. Uh-huh. And I think that's been beautiful. Yeah. It's beautiful for a community to have people that will overlook that superficial piece and not care that they're the kids sneaking into the locker rooms to try and get a shower because they know they smell funky and mm. don't have warm water at home. It, it, it's just nice that our kids eventually saw beyond that. And I think... That's a growing process yes. in all kiddos, I think. But yes. our kids got there a lot sooner than a lot of their peers maybe have. And maybe then a community even does. I think about those have-nots in the community I grew up in. And I don't know that some of them were ever accepted. Mm. I don't know that Shaky Joe was ever anything but judged. Mm. Um, bringing in foster kiddos... One of the primary things that I didn't anticipate, one of the biggest effects on my children was messing up birth order. And I mm. should have seen this because um, when we blended our family, Scott's youngest, so the baby of the family, and my oldest, the man of the house, became forgotten mid- middle children. Mm. They were the two smack in the middle. Mm. And they were also similar enough in age that they had to room together. Mm. And night and day different kids. Yeah. Very Just different kids. Yep. Yep. Both good kids, amazing kids, a lot of good strengths, a lot of things God has called them to. Yes. And very different kids. Yes. And the Whistler at 5 a.m. 
is the child that should have been choked, I think. And <laughs> so you, you would think I would have anticipated the birth order yes, piece. Like, yes. you can't just slam kids in wherever they fall. Yeah. You need to be very aware and processing and talking mm. about birth order. Yeah. But again, our first foster kiddo came in with our forgotten middle children, all at that same age group. Mm. And I hadn't anticipated what that would do to them, to, to be a peer, a direct peer in the same classes, in the same community. I just... I, I didn't anticipate that properly, and I think that that hurt our boys initially. Yeah. I think long-term, they it stretched them, and they learned. And, right. Um, they referred to us as a people farm at the time, and well. um, one of the boys said along the way, I think I might end up with a people farm similar to yours, and I thought, well, that's a goal that I yeah. have to call you to. <laughs> I don't know that I necessarily recommend the lifestyle we have, but... <laughs> If God's calling you to it, go for then it. Then you need go to get go it. for it. Yep. <laughs> go get it, buddy. Yeah. Um, okay. Interesting so, birth order. Yeah. yeah I, I just really think that if I were doing it all over again, I think I might have been more geared younger early on. Okay. And then maybe gone older as our family got older. Right. Um, our adoptive kids have separated, like, birth order-wise, gotten between some of our bio kids. Okay. And I think that's been hard. I think that um, the two that I went into the marriage with, Alex and Brisa, uh, my husband now, Scott, has adopted them. So they're part of our brood together. Yeah. Um, but I think that they had a bond that was unique to their siblingness mm. and an understanding of their biological upbringing. Yes. That was unique to them. Yes. And we adopted one that slides right between those two. Oh. They were, Alex was out of the house by the time that happened. And Brisa was in high school at the time. Um, but I, I no regrets. I would 100% do it again. Yes. Absolutely no regrets. Um, but I think I would have processed it differently with those two kiddos okay. in mind. I think they needed to to know that that bond between them wasn't being stretched or forced. Or, okay. And I don't think they ever directly thought it was. But I think internally it shifts things when you drop a name when you're going down the list of kids and there's a name between two that we're always together I think that kind of shifts a mindset or a feeling an emotion something at a core of a child and we didn't process that properly I don't think um and then we adopted one with special needs that falls between my youngest um bio kid and the one we had together Uh so again split that um birth order up that one was not quite the same she has some special needs that leave her Quite a bit younger, um, psychologically, emotionally, and academically. So right. that wasn't as big a stretch, mm-hmm. but it was still a stretch. And my kiddos, prior to Catherine coming to our family, did not um, had not been terribly exposed to that special needs population. Right. So there was a quick learning cycle when we brought Catherine home, and mm-hmm. she's a teenager coming from a pretty hard place, and with her special needs and then eventual ment- mental health needs, I don't think we. Um, had, could have even adequately prepared our kids for, but mm. even doing what we could have done, I think we lacked as parents or didn't understand or know what they they really needed from us. So I think that was a big impact on our kiddos, that birth order piece. I can't say it enough. And again, I don't feel strongly that you can't mess with birth order. Right. You have to know that you're messing with a thing. Yeah. It's not just bringing a kid in, but there's this thing about yes. birth order. And that child, where they come from their family of origin, their birth order impacts who they are, too. Yes. Um, I used to think that was kind of a funky catch-all thing, or yeah. maybe something that was just a, 
associated with the church. Sure. But I'm really understanding that a child that was raised as the youngest will have a different mindset than the first attempt at raising a child, the oldest child. Yes. So I, I just really think that in fostering, that's a big hairy animal. It's a big mm-hmm. deal. And we don't always know it when we get into that. Right. Um, yeah. I think that children naturally see the world in black and white, kind of a right and wrong. Mm-hmm. And suddenly we're accepting behaviors or ah. concerns or issues that in our children's mind was wrong or bad. Yes. Or they're seeing things in the family of origin when they come over that yes. that is clearly wrong or right. bad. Yes. And it's really important to us to not yep. create judgmental little people. Ooh, we've so, had a challenge with that. Yeah. Yep. yep. So helping our children to understand that the bar is different for you. Is yeah. it's hard because very hard. It's it's not intuitive to kids. No. It feels unfair. Yes. But we're holding each kid to the standard they're capable of. Yes. Not the standard, not a universal standard, but each child's different, each child is capable of something different and they're held to a different standard in that way. It's fair because they're being held to the standard they're capable of. Yes. And because we're all striving to be better humans every day, lifelong learners. We right. just wanna to see the world and grow our understanding and our relationship in it uh-huh. all the time. And so the bar is always changing for every child, but True. the child or the bar didn't start the same for every child no, either. That has and that's so hard for kids to so understand. Like so this kid's on an ankle monitor for running away. Why are they allowed to go to the movies and on a school night at 10 o'clock or whatever? Yes. There's just so many things that, that don't compute for our black and white kiddos that raise these flaming red warning lights in them or scare them or make them angry. Like, yeah. why did they get to go? And yeah. I'm like, family of origin, they're prerogative. They get to do these things. Yes. And our kiddos just don't get it sometimes. That's true. And yeah, I don't get it sometimes, so why do I expect them to? That's the truth. But learning to not be judgmental in that has been a big deal. Yeah. Yeah. We've even, yeah. I mean, just yeah. in our little piece with Evan and Poppy and the, Things that we've, especially with Evan, but, you know, trying to overcome some things. (laughs) Indeed. It's just, oh, my word, the it's not fair and why, I mean, obviously he was wrong (laughs) in this particular moment, so you need to discipline him the same way you would have disciplined me, and oh, my word, anyway, so, oh, we've been down that road. Yes, every day. Oh, glory. Glory, glory. Um, So, Ronnie, if I want to get involved in foster care, what do I do? Um, for me, we've done it through the county. So okay. we would Google the local co- county okay. um, and their Department of Health and Human Services. And they'll, they'd be glad to talk to you. Yes. They're accustomed to people asking and then not calling back. So yes. be persistent. Okay. They also give you a great gob of paperwork. There's so much to it. And okay. things that I thought would be issues, like we have a swimming pool in our backyard. Okay. And you can get to that swimming pool through a sliding glass door that opens into our house. We had to make sure that pool and its entry was safe, that okay. a child couldn't roam out there in, at 3 a.m. But we did not have to build this huge fence and put this expensive security piece into place in okay. order to foster. Okay. We had to be reasonable and prudent parents. But, okay. Um, the foster packet typically indicates that a parent always has to be at home. But they waive that all the time. I mean, it's not reasonable in a lot of households for a parent to always be home. Right. Uh, many households are two parent or two income households and need that to continue to 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 function. Yes. 
Um, so don't let that throw you off. Okay. I guess is what I'm saying. They will make exceptions. They will actually, for a child in care, usually provide daycare money funding. Okay. So don't don't let that be um, something that scares you off. Um, funding, it's gen- generally adequate to meet their immediate needs. Okay. It's certainly not something like people talk about trying to get rich by taking in other people's kids. You're not going to make a penny on it. My word. You're not going to lose a penny that you haven't chosen to lose. Right. But you're not going to make a dime right. going into foster care. You're doing it for the children, for the community, for for us, for Christ. Um, not for money. Right. <laughs> not even a little bit. Not even sort of. Um, so for us, income-wise, I mean, we choose to, to spend above and beyond, but, but you don't have to, and most foster families can't, and that's that's okay. I mean... Not every child gets to go to camp, or not every child gets yeah. to participate in everything that they want to, because it's not always it's not economically always feasible. feasible. Yep. Yep. And for us, our, our hardest economy is time. Mm. We need the logistics in place to move our people where they need to be, mm-hmm. when they need to be there. Yes. And so that's that's a whole big thing for us. But um, don't let time or money scare you away from fostering. Okay. I do know that um, every county in the nation has foster care kind of program, a system in place. There are also private foster care um, programs or, yes. or um, companies. Yeah. Um, locally, that's Lutheran Social Services primarily. Okay. Um, so you could, in, in theory, get a hold of someplace like LSS and say, I want to foster. Typically, families do that if they're hoping to foster to adopt. Okay. So when we went into fostering, we had no desire to adopt. We, okay. I mean, I thought I was going to have one, maybe two kids. We had six. <laughs> I was like, heck to the no. Not adopting. <laughs> not happening. We've adopted three. So, <laughs> don't tell that no. Don't that tell, was the moral yeah, of that right? story. <laughs> right? That's good. Yeah. But um, for families looking to foster to adopt, obviously we've adopted through the county, fostering through the county. Yeah. Um, but sometimes you'll be a little more successful fostering to adopt through someplace like Luther Social, Lutheran Social Services. Okay. Um, so in Wisconsin, LSS has the contract for the entire state. So even if you're adopting through a county, your child... Okay, right. So um, we talked about how we got involved. If I was interested in getting involved in foster care, how mm-hmm. could I go about do, doing that? Um Obviously, a couple different options. So, to change tracks a little bit, um, you've mentioned how foster care is being driven by your relationship with Christ. And, um, I mean, obviously not, I shouldn't say obviously, not just that, but that he is the driving force behind why you are loving children that are not yours, that are from hard places, all the things. So, tell me how foster care has impacted your relationship with the Lord. It has been eye-opening. The gospel plays out in your living room every day when you're taking these kiddos from someplace hard. Mm. I mean, you learn to love the wretched smells and the foul Mm. language and Mm. the injury and destruction of property. You love that child. Mm. You choose it. You feel it sometimes. Sometimes you don't, but you choose it all day, every day. And that's the gospel in a nutshell right Mm. there. So it's really helped us to understand the simplicity of the gospel and the complexity and mm. um, to, to feel what we're called to and yes. to know how far fall we short uh, is motivating. It really changes the pursuit of God okay. to say, like, 
I know that this should be done better. I know that there's a better way. And what's hindering it is my sin or me not pursuing hard enough or far enough or me squandering my time or energy in in places that aren't necessarily evil or sinful, but aren't necessarily God honoring or fulfilling the needs of this family or this, this thing. Yes. Um, also since so many of our kiddos are impacted by addiction, Mm. um, and that is a mental health issue. Um, I don't think I understood that before care, um, before getting into foster care, but, um, it's a serious mental health issue that needs treatment and help and support. And it doesn't always work the first time and it's not always embraced in the way we think it should be, but almost every successful, um, addiction treatment incorporates faith. Yeah. And so understanding that for and with these families of origin has changed how I view God and what he does and the magnificence of what he's created and how he transforms lives Mm. and kind of the miracles of everyday life that, um, seeing these children or these families, even these parents that are otherwise unseen, unheard, forgotten, and marginalized that they're hiding in plain sight to see them, um, brought into God's light or to see them through God's eyes Mm. is huge. It changes your faith. Yes. And it, it impacts the faith of those that experience it with you. I mean, our church has grown with us. Our, yes. our church has seen the hard. Yes. And sometimes have been made uncomfortable by it. Yes. And they've chosen love. I love that. And to see that in our church community is huge. Yes. Huge. Um, I, I know that there are so many more people of faith that have so much more to give that don't know how or where to give it. And I feel like every step of this journey, not just being foster parents, but every step along the way is a mentoring, a, a, an opportunity for ministry or to to be the hands and feet of Christ. Yes. I just feel like these families, they need us. Yes. And they need us when they're the most unlovable. Yes. I mean, they say that children who need love the most ask for it in the most unlovable ways. That's the straight truth. And that's the truth of adults and, and every human. That's kind of the human condition. Agreed. So to, to love these people anyway. Yes. To say, I don't care that you're not dressed properly for public. Come to my church. Be here with us. Mm. Worship God with us. Mm. See what see what he's about and, and see if it's for you. See if he is right for you. Mm-hmm. Because I know that he's right for everybody. Yeah. But they don't know that. Right. And so I think bringing that back to addiction and kind of the process, that journey is a faith journey, I think, mm. by and large. Okay. Um, not to say that nobody ever comes to healing without faith. I think it happens. I think God's using them in a different way. Yeah. But um, by and large, all the accepted methods of treating addiction incorporate faith. Yeah. And so I, I see that as such a critical component to meeting the needs of these families and loving them well. Yeah. Okay. It just has given you a different perspective on the gospel. It's, I mean, like, to boil it all down. For sure. But, yeah. And you've seen it in real time, if you will. Indeed. You know. I, Indeed. It, yeah. Obviously, we have not seen what you've seen. <laughs> but th- yeah. there is a quote that I love, and, you know, it's adoption. Adoption, now granted, foster care, you could kind of replace that. But yeah. it's the gospel in my living room. Like you, yeah, there it is. Like you said, it is. It's yeah. just like. 
It's right there. <laughs> in front of me. This is, is real life. Yep. It's and it's not, biting me. And it's <laughs> biting me. And it's biting me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. We choose love. Yes. Choose yeah. love. I like that you use that yeah. word as well. Because sometimes it is a choice. It mm-hmm. just is. There's. It, it doesn't. I think there is something about popular culture that makes you think that you have to feel a certain way or it's not a real thing. And that's garbage. Amen. Because <laughs> uh, there's a lot of marriages that wouldn't be. If Amen. That's real life. That. Yeah. Yes. So it is, I mean, yeah, sometimes you do feel it. And mm-hmm. sometimes it grows. And sometimes you just plain old don't feel it and you make a decision. So mm-hmm. I, that's just how it is. So, so, Ronnie, out of all the things, um, foster care related, whatever, that you want to leave with people, if you kind of had two minutes to throw it out there, what would you... What do you want people to remember from our conversation, or what do you want to leave with them? I think um, I've hammered the faith piece enough. I think that there was a, a kind of a popular tale. You shared it once upon a time on Facebook. Our county has shared it with foster families. Um, it's about a little boy out on the beach throwing starfish into the sea. <laughs> and some guy comes along, and he's like, what are you doing? You can't save all of these starfish you can't possibly make a difference Mm. and the little guy picks up another starfish and throws it in and says i made a difference to that one yep i think that all of us can make a difference to that one and if all of us do that i think the impact will be astounding i love it that 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 more than anything speaks to me yes i think about the heart of what we're trying to do and what what god places before us yes we can't all minister the masses no Everyone needs to be ministered to, though. Yes. And to love the one in front of you, if you will. The people. And the people that you don't necessarily see, like you said. Yeah. But to seek them out. And that wealth that wiggles sermon, I mean, we still have kids. We're talking 10 years ago, 15 years ago now. We still have kids coming from those relationships. They're um, second-generation grandkids, we consider them, or... um, connections in that same neighborhood that reach out to us, that lean on us, that come to us. So in addition to fostering, we're still making a difference to those kiddos that are still on the margin that well, maybe we can make a difference in that family enough that they don't have to come into care. Yes. And I think that those neighborhoods are out there. They're in every community. There's more than one in every community. Yes. Um, in urban, suburban, rural, those communities are out there and they need us. They need people that have... Either the skill set, but more importantly, the mindset to, to love and love well. Yes. And make mistakes. Yeah. Try again. Yeah. Get hurt. Yes. Try again. Yes. Get messy and do it all over again. Right. And, and what do you tell people, Ronnie? I mean, this was just kind of off the cuff, but what do you tell people that I'm not called to foster care or I'm not called to adoption or I'm not called to... Things that hurt my feelings. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, just that called to the messy business. Yeah, sometimes yeah. I feel like I'm just generalizing. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying that this is, you know, but there does seem to be sometimes like, well, I'm not called to that. And I, I do think there's a fine line in there somewhere because everyone is not called to everything. I mean, we are finite human beings. Right. And that is, you cannot, you know, you and Scott cannot both, you know, be love to these people, these kids, these families in Polk County, and translate the Bible in Mauritania. I mean, like, you can't do everything. So, 
how do you pro, how do you handle that? Um, do you ever do you my, ever speak to that? Yeah, um, my question to that to the person that says I'm not called to is what are you called to? There, good. Because if they have a calling and they're really in tune to God and what He wants for them and from them, they'll have an idea of what their calling is and okay. they'll be pursuing it. And that is perfect. Okay. I, I mean, I love it. go do what God has for you. Yes. But if they don't know what God's calling them to, yes. then come explore it with me. Yes. Come be where we are and do what we do and love who we love and see where you're, where you fit. Yes. In this ministry, this world. I mean, right. ultimately as Christians, if we're true Bible believing Christians, then we know that we are to love others. Yes. How we're going to do it looks different from family to family and person to person. True. So. Good. I like that a lot. Okay, Ronnie, I can talk to you all night, but I'm not going to (laughs) because we got kids. That's how this works. Anyway, so thank you, thank you, thank you for being my podcast girl. (laughs) One of my people. I love it. I'm so excited. You guys, oh, you don't even know how excited I was to have Ronnie come. And she (laughs) is laughing at me because she has seen me off the crazy train like this before and thinks it's hilarious. So I love it. I love you. All right. I love you. Okay. Well, thanks guys for listening. We're so excited to have Ronnie on. on our podcast and we'll talk to you again soon. Thank you for listening to this conversation from the BRV. We hope you enjoyed the discussion and that it inspires you to live out your own brave story.